Hey everyone, welcome to Founders 365. We interview a founder every single day of 2020. I'm Stephen Hagter, your host, and today we have Andrea Tiu, founder of Market Tiu. Welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Stephen. Hi, everybody. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me on. Uh, exciting times. Uh, this is actually the first podcast that I'm doing in 2020. So, oh, wow. uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my uh, it's my seventh. So you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a real pleasure to be here, and I'm excited to see uh, what uh, I can bring to the table, and also to have a chat about uh, you know entrepreneurship. It's always it's always fun. Yeah, and maybe. A note to the audience, if you guys have anything that you'd like to find out about since we are live, um, feel free to shoot away and uh, uh, Stephen, happy to happy to discuss any of the subjects that are re- being brought up. Fantastic. So first and foremost, market to you, tell me the story, how it came about and how you guys have been going three years now. So tell me that journey. Sure thing. So uh, nothing easy <laughs> as it's almost always almost always never um, uh, happening. We started off uh, when I was in uni, actually, the last year of uni, Um, and uh, the decision, it wasn't something planned. Uh, I always knew I was going to do marketing, but I I didn't always know I was going to be an entrepreneur. Um, But then um, the click was when I started working in a corporate job that I really didn't fit in that well. Yeah. So it wasn't about the people, it was just about the environment and ju- just being in the machine. So I didn't like that at all. Um, and after a couple of months when I was trying to go through it, I said, no, I can't do this. I mean, I can't do this for a year. Yeah. <laughs> not not to mention a lifetime. Yeah. Um, and then I said, okay, what's something that I'm good at and I know I'm good at? And I knew that would be marketing. So obviously the first thought was, there's a lot of marketing people out there, uh, how to yeah. get started. So I started off with a blog, uh, nothing fancy. It was just something that it was actually a blog where I was writing about marketing for music because before anything, I was a musician. So I enjoyed nice. music a lot. Um, music was my main reason for, uh, actually it was music and marketing. Uh, the two reasons that I left Romania going to study into the UK in 2013. Yeah. And uh, yeah, basically, I just started writing uh, marketing for music and then I started to expand into other areas. And then I started to sell the services and it's kind of picked up like that. Um, worked so as a slow. Exactly. It's so it, it was a slow growth in the beginning. Um, and that probably for the first uh, one and a half years, uh, it was just something that I was doing on the side. And then yeah. it picked up and actually, uh, I started to develop a team, grow all the other elements of a business that you really need in order to make it work. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably the peak was the last year when we opened a new office in my home country, Romania. So now we have two offices, one in the UK, one in Romania. Yeah. Uh, we, we have a proper team and uh, bigger clients. So uh, I would say this is actually the year that we made all the machine work together nicely. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were starting out, even though it was that evolveness of being a one man band to now having that team, how did mm-hmm. that journey look in the sense of when did you decide it wasn't just going to be you? Because realistically, you could have, you could quite happily be on your own, 
be like a freelance marketing type person and do pretty well out of it let's face it yeah. um, but what made you go you know what? i want to make this a brand i want to make this have a team have these offices and grow that that way um i think maybe not the only one element but one of the most important ones was that i knew that i'm not alone feeling like i was feeling when i was working the sort of corporate machine-like job mm -hmm. uh, and i knew there are a lot of good people that end up working in those kind of jobs because they don't have opportunities to do something different or yeah. enough courage to go their own way so i wanted to create this sort of community or you know company environment where i could surround myself with like-minded people that are very good at what they do and sort of create this environment of opportunity where people could develop the right skills to become very good at what they do and you know really like to come into work and to develop themselves in the right directions that they feel they would like to without being limited so this sounded a bit utopian at the, at the beginning but then um doing what doing the things the way that we we proceeded with uh with the right support and mentality and everything we i think uh, got around creating that sort of environment mm -hmm. last year when we opened the office in romania so i yeah. think that was a very interesting exercise because it was the first time when we were actually going properly through uh you know through hiring people and interviewing people so that we can find exactly the right people that we wanted to get into our community let's say yeah um and also try out the new market with that mm -hmm. so it was very very interesting um why was it so important to build that culture and get those right people in for you um one of the things i think it was uh, thinking back to it uh the fact that i'm quite a sociable person and i never really liked to be alone doing something so yeah. Um, when I was in high school, I used to have loads of friends that I was doing everything with. Then uh, having the music band and the music community when everybody was hanging out together. Yeah. Um, then uni and the jobs that I had during that time. And then the company, I knew that I wouldn't like to work by my own. And also yeah. that working only for myself um, wouldn't be the, the right platform to give away the, as much value as I thought I could. Mm -hmm. to the market and to the people around me so i kind of took that on my shoulders and uh, thought of giving it a try and uh, that was fun <laughs> <laughs> that's but the all when you can try things and, and and mess it up if you need to yeah uh, i think uh you know it was a learning curve obviously like yeah. not everybody that was uh hired eventually proved to be the right decision mm -hmm. so we had to uh say goodbye to some people as well along the way yeah. Um, but I think that only taught us more and more how to how to let people in and also how to let people know what we are interested in finding or how yeah. we are as a team and as a company. And also one thing that uh, I it's an element of the decision for me not working on my own, but having a, a proper company, I think it was uh, knowing that you can't be the best at everything. So if you really want to provide very good quality services and mm. to you know deliver and work with bigger brands and uh passionate people on the other side you have to have passionate people in your team that are very very good at what they do so um now this is one of core thing of our culture as a company uh obviously everybody's encouraged to learn more from different areas but ultimately what we try to do internally is to 
support people to develop themselves into the niche and directions that they want. So, you know, if you are a content marketer and you are really ta talented at that, then you have full support in that direction. Obviously, you can learn a bit of PPC if you want to and we'll help you with that. But um, you are free to choose your path and to follow it, uh, you know, as you as you want. Yeah. And this, what do you this think? What do you think's been the, you know, like you said, 2019 was that year where you started uh, figuring things out a little bit more clearly by the sounds of it and building the team. What's the biggest difference that you've seen since you've you made that decision to open your second office, start building the team, start allowing, you know, people more expert, more experts in the room? Um, I think... Uh... I think that general experience was good. I think that one thing that uh, took a bit more time than I thought was managing the team. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I was doing things by myself in the beginning, and I was the only one on the team, then I knew yeah, exactly you're doing, what you're doing everything. That. You're doing accounts, like everything. Yeah, and I kind of had like a flow. Mm. Uh, whereas when you manage a team, it's yeah. more about the processes, and I think. Working in startups or with startups that were fast growing helped me a lot in learning that thing mm -hmm. so that I can apply it into the business and I can, you know, establish processes that are good to be followed so that the yeah. team was working well. Um, but until we got to that point, I think that was an interesting and Mm, yeah, an interesting learning curve yeah, for, yeah. for for me coming from the place where I didn't really have. So you, so you didn't have the processes or systems in place before you started hiring. Mm -hmm. The hiring made you do it. Yeah, and also I I think it was good because it was like that because mm -hmm. we we discovered some opportunities for improvement as well. While as if I'm thinking back now uh, i think it would be really really hard to establish processes before you have a team because you yeah. don't know who you will find and what they their skill set is so that you can also add the process to the person not only get a person and put it in the process because yeah. if you do that then you get into like a corporation kind of job like and that's yeah. not fun <laughs> <laughs> nobody wants that no yeah some people do some people are quite happy but um what about yourself you as a founder how has you how have you seen your role evolve over that so massive decision hiring building out the team naturally like you said you go from doing everything yourself to other people doing your jobs for you so how did your role evolve how did it change um, I think the responsibility obviously is way higher because you're not responsible only for yourself anymore. You are responsible for four or five, six people. So <laughs> that that's a, a different degree of responsibility. Yeah. But all, but also I think it's um, it's growing you up a lot. I mean, uh, when when you get into that position and you know growing from uh, on this curve, I think that. Um, enables you to be able to take on higher responsibilities in other directions as well. Like it's just that going out of your comfort zone and growing faster than you usually. And then because you know that you have grown and you have handled these situations well and yeah. you, you know you have what it takes, it encourages you to take other hard decisions or risks yeah. in other directions that you may be uncomfortable with in the beginning yeah. um, and enables you also to be flexible and agile in managing the outcome to say so yeah. or you know to, to manage that decision through until the end result yeah exactly it's, and 
it's always going to evolve right as you grow as as you keep growing this year and more people come on and more people don't leave and your role as a founder is going to continually evolve mm-hmm. uh, which i think is something really important for people to know because i think when they come into it or at any stage they're at often they there's a lot of imposter syndrome in the founder community i think you know am i good enough to do this am i good enough to be a leader am i good enough to do uh grow this company so it's always about that keyword evolve i found i don't know do you agree with that mm. <laughs> no no I, i'm not sure if uh, i can generalize around yeah. it i think that it's a uh, it depends a lot uh from i mean of the of the moment that you start your mm-hmm. founder journey because if you are let's say 40 and you want to start a business by then you probably should be good enough at least to be the only one in the business and then work on the you know team management skills or whatever wow, that, but, that's a that's a that's a big uh assumption though yeah it, it can be but yeah. i mean if you if you have a dream of becoming a founder and owning a business um i don't want to be very critical about it but you should have some skills that yeah at least for yourself put you in the position but, of, but i think nowadays you know especially with what you do digital marketing that you know if there's a if we say there's a 40 year old guy that's always wanted to start his business compared to a 18 year old person that wants to start a digital marketing agency i feel that the 18 year old will know the technical aspects of the business very probably quicker than the 40 mm-hmm. year old uh, probably not 40 let's go a bit older let's go like 50 odd yeah um, 50, yeah yeah, that, yeah. That'd be the, much. You, you get some 40 year olds that are just on it um you know then then that 50 year old i do agree in the sense where the 50 year old obviously will have a completely different set of life skills that's mm-hmm. going to help them in that business no doubt about that um but i feel like founders and entrepreneurs uh you know there's no there's no bad thing about being an 18 year old entrepreneur but i do feel like they get a lot of stick for that for the age a- aspect um okay yeah i got it this is a different conversation uh, <laughs> yeah uh but um indeed so age is has been one of the things that i struggled with a lot because i was going to pitches and stuff and people were looking at me and they were like how old are you uh 22 at the time why yeah. does it come oh i'm just asking and then uh, two two days later oh we decided to go with somebody else because they had a bit more experience yeah, oh, exactly. thank you uh so that's definitely something that is happening i think it's tricky because it, it doesn't apply the same to all the domains like for example as you said digital marketing is a field that is evolving a lot and if yeah. you put your head to it and you want to learn it then you probably can learn the technical aspects pretty quickly but i think you you do need the practical experience in order mm-hmm. to to understand how to how to make it work and i think yeah. that this is something that is very hard to compensate only by looking at videos or uh learning from you know courses and or even university although that's mm-hmm. that stuff is not being taught in universities <laughs> but uh <laughs> wishful sorry wishful thinking if if it was yeah, but I um, I have all the encouragement for the you know like for the 13, 15 years old, 17, 18. Uh, yeah. But one thing that I would say is, uh, and I know this is a very popular idea, like Gary B says it, and loads of other entrepreneurs say it, to go and to do it for somebody, if possible, 
being a mentee of somebody that really knows how to do it. Like uh, you can learn so much faster if you not cut the corners, but just keep some of the mistakes that that person was doing and get get the right way to do it first. And then also have the opportunity to ask uh, questions and being answered, giving also the context from that. Uh, I mean, no, having the context from that other person as well of yeah. why they think that's uh, that was a good decision at the time, rather than just uh, looking up some case studies on, let's say, Google. Yeah, because so it speeds up the learning process massively. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, that, was a, that was a nice little tangent, though, because it, it often comes up in conversations with me, I, you know, with my um, founder network and all that kind of stuff. There's a whole massive age range in there. Um, so the age topics are really interesting one that hasn't actually been discussed on this podcast yet until now. Um, but back to you, back to you. Um, so tell me, you know, what what are some of the. Because because digital marketing super popular at the moment lots and lots and lots of companies out there doing it and offering what's one of your hardest things that you've come up against in that sense because it's a very noisy market especially as me and you know online on facebook groups on linkedin seems like every other person is almost a di runs a digital marketing agency so how did you overcome that um so probably one of the struggles that is more and more coming up in the market is the price element because mm -hmm. it's always going to be somebody that is going to be cheaper than you and yeah. if you go into the price battle then you can't really win that unless you are the cheapest on the market which you don't want to be no. so this is something that actually took uh, from gary v from an interview and it was a very random moment when i heard it but um i think that made a lot of sense and we tried to apply it ever since um but uh, we focused a lot on the branding side of things and also yeah. leadership um, and at the moment apart from offering very good services and you know focusing on the quality and service element of the business um, we what we try to do in order to differentiate but also to make ourselves more visible is to bring free value to the people that follow us mm -hmm. so we've been doing that a lot in Romania over the last six months and we want to replicate that in the UK uh, starting uh, yesterday actually when we launched our new website in the UK nice. so uh, at the moment we are in the process of translating some of the content and adapting it to the UK market but one thing that we were doing was uh, creating uh, you know like blogs and interviews uh, the podcast was on hold for a while but we're going to restart it uh, this year, uh, organizing uh, marketing conferences and events so that we can give back to the community of people that can be our clients if they want to. But if yeah. not, we don't sell to them, but rather try to bring value and people in that are relevant and can teach them something that is relevant for them. So an example of that would be a conference that we did in Romania. And it actually became one of the biggest marketing conferences in East Europe in September. Wow. as well. Uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, I mean, we were hoping for it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, talk, I was to me, talk to me about that then. What made you do that and how did you, how did you become the biggest or one of um, the biggest? So essentially we looked at Romania as a market at the time and I think it's uh, still valid today. And uh, we saw that most of the marketing conferences that were happening locally were directed towards selling tickets so that we it, it was a very commercial process. So mm -hmm. there were the events organizers that were bringing in the speakers, you know, getting all these people that yeah, were coming. Classic setup. Yeah. So what we said is, okay, we don't want to do it that way. And we yeah. do need a marketing conference in order to 
make a footprint in the market so we get people to know that we are here but we can't have like a market you conference so um we developed another brand which was called digicon um and it was the digicon conference powered by market you so yeah. we invited people it was a marketing trends and entrepreneurship conference uh but you couldn't buy tickets for it you had to apply to tickets uh so we had a pretty big conference hall at a nice hotel in Bucharest. Um, you could apply for tickets, but not everybody was getting the tickets because we wanted to get control over the quality of the people that were showing up. Mm. Um, the conference, because of the subjects that were discussed and the depth of the subjects that we wanted to go into, it was directed to senior marketing decision makers, uh, CEOs, and uh, industry people. So, I mean, we were happy to have people from like competition coming. Uh, at the conference if they wanted to because we also wanted to um, sort of create this community of like-minded people if you yeah. can no, no, call it so sense. yeah yeah so um, we were massively overbooked for it we ran a traditional marketing mix for it so we did do Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads and the PR and so on uh, but I think because of the way that the conference was set up it was something new to the market and it was also something that people in their, let's say, senior positions didn't really encounter before. And I think that was very important for us to be able to make a move. And then um, we also got some very nice sponsors that helped us with logistically, mainly. Um, and yeah, it just it just unfolded nicely. Um, we had some good press coverage and the people that we had as speakers were really, really nice. Uh, by the way, guys, if you are watching, thanks a lot for again. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was overall it was a really, really interesting event. So right. is that so going to become plan, a regular thing? Yeah. So yeah. we plan to do it in the UK in March, uh, but we haven't uh, announced anything officially yet. And uh, again in Romania towards yeah. you know like during spring. But that was a, an important thing for us to create some thought leadership to actually help people in that sense because it they didn't have that much access to, let's say, influencer marketing uh, strategies and workshops yeah. from a big influencer or modern marketing strategy from somebody that that is actually doing it and being successful at it. Um, or, or, you know, uh, entrepreneurs having companies that yeah. were super fast growing. So it was it was a really nice energy, and uh, was that helped us? What has the, been the the positive impact from running that event on your business? Um, so, uh, again, one thing that we didn't, we probably didn't do enough because we are also talking about learnings here and I think yeah, that this, can, this can help people a lot is, so we wanted to use this uh, event also as a lead generation sort of strategy yeah. to a sense, but because we didn't know the market very well, we didn't want to push it very hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and to give a bit more context here, for example, if you are in the UK and you go to an event, you know, that and mainly if it's free or if you don't have to pay for the ticket, you have to go through some sort of selection, then uh, you expect somebody to call you after and try to, you know, start a discussion. Yeah, while as try to in, sell. <laughs> yeah, uh, while as in Romania, we didn't know if people are used to that approach. One thing that we knew is that direct sales is not as developed as it is in the UK. Mm -hmm. So this could have been an advantage for us, but if we were doing it hardcore, yeah. because we had the email list uh but we could we didn't want to go and be perceived as somebody that put together a conference that was really nice and you know people felt good but then break down 
that break that impression by calling them and saying, hey, by the way, you came to the conference. Uh, are you interested in marketing services? Yeah, sure. So um, we ended up kind of trying to see if there is an opportunity to do that softly. Um, we had a lot of positive feedback, but we didn't do the testing of that approach enough, I think. I mean, um, not enough to extract a learning that we can use for the next edition enough. Okay. Like, we didn't cold call, uh, or yeah, kind of cold call 30 people asking them, because that would probably have been the number to offer us the insight. And we decided not to assume, not to take that risk at the time. But uh, probably we'll do a bit more of that next. So as a learning, I think that something that we could have done better would have been to try out this sort of cold calling yeah. Uh, yeah. approach. Well, it's it's really interesting though because I can completely see where you came from. You didn't want to make it a pitch fest for yourself, and you want to, but by do by by not doing that, you are positioning yourself naturally in the marketplace as mm -hmm. a business of authority, a business of expertise, someone you know, a business that is leading the industry in Romania. Um, and equally, when you do that in the UK, it's going to have the same sort of effect. I hope. Um, so. What's really interesting is the different ways that you're marketing your business in that sense, because it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a traditional scent, a traditional way to market a marketing agency. You know, mm. um, I've seen a lot of marketing agency adverts, and they're always, you know, super duper videos and all, all whatever, everything in between. So, what was the decision that you made to do that? What you know to run events to start building the community start building the platform which naturally is going to have a positive effect on your business um first of all i think it was because we are a startup like still uh we didn't have a lot of resources to put into google ads or to run or linkedin ads as well so we could do that up to a point or to a certain extent, but we were certainly not in a position to cover the whole market and also to get into the type of customers that we want to bring into our community of customers. Um, just running Google Ads wouldn't really work because if you go into like to a company that is innovative and fast growing or recognized already, they it would be really hard to you know to go against uh, the major international marketing agencies that those decision makers in the company already know about. Yeah. So um, naturally they would feel it's a risk working with an agency that is smaller they just came on the market, etc. So I personally thought it was a much better idea to prove that they can trust us to have those materials and everything and, you know, have some good PR and word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And only then eventually either try to sell them or when they're going to hear about us to have some idea of who we are or at least have heard a brand and not from an advert. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was... I mean, we still do the marketing stuff uh, that we do with you know like our clients as well. But it's just that we try to complement that with mm. something that is actually helping the clients, even if they don't give us anything back. Yeah. Or, like not even clients, like the public. Uh, and probably the blog is the main point that we constantly post on. Um, but yeah, events are something that we hope we're gonna do more of. 
yeah, it's a great way to build that community. Um, let's talk about how you, when you first, no, let's rewind a little bit and talk about how when you first started out, you decided what sort of clients you wanted to work with. Did you niche down? Did you go overall? Mm -hmm. how, how did that conversation happen in your head? Mm, it was a tricky one and it took a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because in the beginning, I really wanted to focus on the arts industry. But then the arts industry is something that is very hard to get into. Uh, most artists in any field don't really have money. And then the ones that do are backed up by labels and it's really hard to get to, get to work with labels. Um, and similarly, I was quite passionate about e-commerce and degeneration in B2B was a new subject that I was learning about, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a professional at that mm -hmm. back in the day. Um, so I said, okay, music is something that I like to do. But then where I think I can bring more, most value into is these other two industries. So I mean, well, you know, like these other directions maybe. So between yeah. generation yeah. and e-commerce. Um, and from then onwards, uh, I knew I, I couldn't go into the corporate clients yet because I just didn't have the resources. And probably at the time, even if I had the experience of working with them, and this, may, this can be linked back to what you mentioned about the imposter syndrome and you know mm. people not really being sure if they can do it or not yet yeah. or yeah. at all um at the time i didn't have that confidence of you know going into uh i don't know oracle and saying uh, hey guys i can do marketing for you and this is exactly how we're gonna do it so uh, i thought that smaller businesses would be a good opportunity for us to build you know testimonials case studies uh and also to learn better and better the market in the UK, it was at the time. Um, but also in parallel working in Romania because, and in the surrounding countries, uh, because, you know, being from this side of Europe, I kind of knew uh, how to uh, how to approach the issue. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we focused on small businesses for a while. Um, we still do, but at the moment we don't focus on small local businesses anymore that much but rather going to the startup startup -y type of businesses that know better what they need because yeah. this is something again that we learn by doing um as a marketing agency you'll get into a lot of discussions with a lot of types of people but if you go into the small businesses in a market that is not so developed as maybe uk is which could be romania for example then people don't really know what they can expect from marketing or what they want. So you can invest a lot of resources trying to educate and to explain, and then uh, being in a position where they either can't afford or um, the the patience is not there in order to wait for a result, maybe like a month or two, which is not a long time frame, but still you need a yeah. bit of patience there. So um, right now where we are is after going through these stages, is um, we still don't work very corporate, but we are willing to take niche corporate projects, such as uh, you know projects or channels where we know we are amongst the best at executing. And then um, we focus a lot on the medium-sized businesses and the bigger startups yeah. or the funds-backed startups. startups. Yeah. Which is the ones with money, basically, to invest in a good marketing strategy. And also, not only money, but uh, knowledge. Because yeah. 
it's much easier and also nicer to to work with people that know what they want or are willing to learn mm. what they need. So you know, it's um, it's as if you are on the same team, and I yeah, think that yeah, yeah. that's really really nice. To Makes have. your job a lot easier. And all, yeah, and a lot of a lot more pleasant, and also most times um, the results are also better from working yeah. from this perspective. Exactly. So twenty twenty is coming up. What can you see that's going to change in the marketing industry? That's a big um, I think uh, I think the branding of the companies that are in this space is going to count more than it has. So I mean, this is already going like. Uh, like this, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's uh, it's very fast. It's an issue that is uh, growing very fastly. Like you have to ha to make yourself heard, and yeah. that can't happen only through you know Facebook ads or YouTube. So you have to be smart about it. Um, marketing as a whole, I think the voice channel of marketing is developing a lot, and this is something that we have been tapping into for about a year and a half now. Uh, we have a sub-branch called Market View Voice, which we published a couple of uh, content pieces on. We have developed an Alexa skill for. Uh, okay. But this is voice by voice, you mean smart home technology, mm -hmm. that kind of Yeah, IoT. So yeah. That, that area is, I think, getting into adoption stage, mainly in the Western world. And yeah, I think yeah. that can, Interesting. yeah, that can um, change a lot for businesses that know how to tap into it. And then also, um, markets are different, but I think that, for example, taking uh, UK, which is West Europe, and it's also like always top of the trends, and a, a country like Romania, which is now getting into the technology space more. I think yeah. that in the, in the UK, um, there's gonna be a lot of competition um, for companies that are in the mar MarTech, space so companies will be willing more and more to learn how to use martech in order to market better or more effectively um and for romania is i think where companies that were tradition using traditional marketing more than other digital forms are learning to understand uh, that they need to focus more of the budget in the digital space so they need a lot yeah. of education in terms of what they can get out of it to mitigate risk because when you make such a decision, uh, having worked 20 years in traditional media, it can be hard for you to, you know, say, I'm going to allocate 30% of the budget this year to digital and see what happens. Like, yeah. you have to educate them so that they are sure that you can help them with achieving at least the same results. And then um, the digital adoption, I think, is going to be is going to be massive this year in most European countries. Explain explain what digital adoption is. So, uh, you know, uh, tapping in, into the channels, uh, yeah. once, once it's the marketing technology as well, which is not so, the market is not so penetrated yet here. So I yeah. think that more and more companies are gonna learn the benefits of using marketing technology, marketing automation, personalization, and so on. And they are gonna be willing to invest into it. Mm. And then um, the, sec the second is using the channels that are available to reach their audience. And, you know, Facebook is probably kind of there, but LinkedIn is a channel that is not exploited to the maximum yet no. in this area. Yeah. So, so LinkedIn is probably going to be growing a lot this year. Mm. Um, then we have TikTok, which is going to be very, very nice for uh Business to consumer brands, mostly yeah. I would say. Um, 
And I heard about a very interesting uh, startup today, actually, um, that is placing uh, commercials in Netflix videos. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't know the name of it, but yeah. the the idea sounded amazing. Like because Netflix has already started to replace traditional TV. Yeah. So if you can place your ad in a video on Netflix that mm -hmm. you're uh, by placing ads, I mean you know it's a scene in a video, and then you have like uh, the the sky, and then you see like, like a product placement almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so if that startup, which I would be really curious to find the name of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, me when you do. Uh, yeah, I will look it up. Um, manages to do something like that. I think that that would be revolutionary mm -hmm. for uh, for the traditional sort of digital marketing. Yeah, and I can see those kind of things starting to happen a lot. Yeah, I completely agree. It's uh, it's really interesting to hear how your your predictions because you know TikTok definitely on people's minds at the moment in terms of the marketing industry. Lots of people are being underused, but the most most interesting is that LinkedIn is still underused. I mean, LinkedIn is an is fairly old, right? It's been around for pretty much as long as Facebook, uh, but it's still underused in that traditional, in, almost in that traditional media marketing sense. But now it's I can I from my from my view on LinkedIn from obviously who I'm connected to, there has been a shift mainly probably last year, if I'm honest, of people moving to, you know, moving to video, moving to more of that storytelling aspect, which helps mm -hmm. bring in the the emotional relationship with with the audience. Uh, what about LinkedIn ads? You know, do they work? Do they not? Because I hear this all the time. I hear like LinkedIn ads don't work and LinkedIn ads do work. What do you think? Um, I like LinkedIn. I like LinkedIn ads. Uh, one thing I would say <laughs> is that uh, they still, I think, are fairly pricey. So I wouldn't say they work for all types of businesses. It depends on the contract value, like yeah. what was your average contract value. And then based off that, the cost of acquisition is probably going to be a bit higher than uh, running Google Ads, let's say. Mm -hmm. But if that's profitable for you, then by all means. I think it just depends on uh, how you run those LinkedIn ads, like yeah. um, if you are, let's say, a B2B market, uh, no, a B2B company or a SaaS company, mm. and you want to sell through LinkedIn your product and you advertise demo requests as a CTA, that's probably going to be very pricey. But you have a if you have a sales process in, in the background and let's say you advertise a new ebook, although that's, that's already kind of burnt, but um, let's say you have like a content piece and then you get yeah. that content piece and people give away your deta their details in to get that content piece and then you run like a traditional funnel sales type of uh, strategy on the basis of it, then you probably can uh, earn quite well of that. And also the lead generation campaigns on LinkedIn are uh, something that has proven to be pretty good lately. So that that's probably, I would say, over the past eight months or so. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different data on LinkedIn as opposed to Facebook and Instagram. All those. LinkedIn is a very specific amount of data in terms of what people put out there and tell the world of what they do, where they went to school, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a little, obviously it's a bit different. Um, I've heard that before in terms of the, the, the rate is a little bit higher than all the other platforms, which is interesting because I would have thought they would have bring this down, but who knows? Um, listen, you've you've been a fantastic guest, and I really want to always I, I always want to end these with putting you under the bus a little bit and saying, listen, what are three 
what are three lessons, three bits of value that you can give to someone to help their help their journey, help them maybe if they're in a little bit of a rut at the moment? Um, I would say the first one is to to go out of your comfort zone as often as possible if it's towards the direction that you want to grow into. So uh, whenever whenever you feel a bit afraid of doing something, whether that's calling a potential client or uh, speaking to somebody as, at an event or stuff like that, uh, and you get the butterflies in your stomach, just do it because that's probably going to be the yeah. thing that you really need to do. So by doing that, you will always grow both your self-esteem but also your skill. And I think it's very important to teach yourself how to act in high-stress situations as mm -hmm. a founder because yeah. you get a lot of that. Um, then uh, the second would be to to manage your finances well because as a founder, again, if you are starting up, then it's going to be you're going to get to a point where you will run out of money and or you will not have enough or you'll have to no, pay from your own pocket for certain things. Some of them might not be cheap. So try to always have a money management system. Even if you are doing well, try to always save up a bit more than you would normally so that you can have that sort of money when you need it because, you know, it's... Yeah. It's business startup. <laughs> it's it's, it's stressful. It's stressful. It's stressful enough. Yeah, and um, maybe another one. The, the third one is really hard to choose, um, but I would say, apart from anything, just try to be a good person and try to help the people that you think you can bring value to without mm. being attached to any outcome. Um, yeah. I mean. When you get an opportunity to help somebody or to, or like it can be one people, it can be more, just do it out of pure goodwill and try to put out as much value as possible. And that will eventually come back to you in one form or the other. And it can be not tomorrow or, you know, it can be 10 years down the line. Yeah. But just doing the right thing is going to help you uh, stick to your direction because you'll get a lot of satisfaction from helping people like genuinely helping people and i think that further than anything else we are in business some of us may be out of money but um most of us will be to give back to the purpose that they created the business for or to the community that they surround themselves with or to the clients that they work with and i think that uh that sentiment of being helpful and uh, seeing that you could contribute towards creating something beautiful will help you get all motivated, but also help you get through the hard times. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just do it. That's that last one, spot on. It's uh, why not be a better person? Eh? If everyone's a little bit better, helping everyone out, adding value to the world, there's no negatives to that in my view. Um, but no, thank you so much for coming on the show, for being on Founders 365. You have been guest number seven on the 7th of January. The journey <laughs> is just beginning. <laughs> it's a pleasure. It was really, really nice. And uh, yeah, if there's anything that uh, maybe you are curious about or uh, I didn't speak enough of or I can help if it's even like a piece of advice or anything, always feel free to reach out and I'm always happy to help with anything. On LinkedIn or Facebook or where? Where can people reach um, out? I think I'm more responsive on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's <laughs> more <laughs> hey, of my life honest. today. At least you're honest. Uh, but no, thank you. So if you want to speak to him, reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, 
all the links are always in the descriptions and all that kind of stuff. But thank you so much for coming on. This has been Founders365. I've been Stephen Haggerty. Goodbye. Yeah.